Today is July 17th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Nekoche Chase Tokom Aki or Dekots Nekotine Siku. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot South and the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. It's important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important that land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage all to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement. So we as indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local indigenous nation's name, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge economic oppression or your role in reconciliation. I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, economic oppression, oppression dynamic, broken treaties, lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians show me that you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to the land of the Hare people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Pichotine Indehe in Satu Dene, meaning many big tog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavidene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act Post status card. That is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous uh, Lesbian, Bisexual, Gay, Transgender, Queer Community and Indigenous Women are at the bottom of the socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence and land theft. As a dating woman who attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies but still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous peoples and Black peoples, I have worked to continue. 
reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I can't say, you know, have a wonderful stampede when I know my community is dying from the current drug policies and systems of imposed Christian-based abstinence programming, private health care, and justice systems built on racism, land theft, and imposed British constructs that continue genocide on Indigenous peoples. Unfortunately, our young Frank Young, who was five years old, has been found deceased. And there was no Amber Alert. And I think of him and his family today. I want to honor his lives and so many others that are being lost indiscriminately because of these policies. I hope you see your role in the importance of stopping this harm as a citizen and see your role in reconciliation. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Elder or Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share my journey as I walk down the red road. I have been accused of not being kind while surviving genocide, yet I've given free book clubs, podcasts, and info on my social media for years and have done as so many others have done as well. At this point, it is willful to be ignorant on these issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can go pledge and support. Thank you to previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps on whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast, for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. I want to give a shout out to Kim Siever for having me on his podcast, Alberta Worker. And I want to encourage anybody who is interested in the Indigenous Book Club to reach out to me. Uh, we have a wonderful special guest, the author coming for August 8th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, and it's Unreconciled. Love to have you all join me. Please consider joining the book club and uh, we'll go from there. Now today, I'm quite um, happy to have a returning guest, but as always wishing that I didn't have to even know you, Corey, but we do know each other now, and you are the widower of Lily and Ashley, and you have an update for us, and I'm really honored that you would be willing to come on the show to tell us, so thank you for that. Thank you for having me. As I always say, I appreciate your time and your effort and what you do for all the people. Uh, you take a lot of your time out of your life to help a lot of people and to get the word out there and so people can have a chance to understand. And that's important. And there may be many people like you, but it takes a special person to get out there and do it and fight against the atrocities that are happening in our world today. I have a few updates actually, so. Um, I guess we can just get started on this. First, I want to say 
was very special on the uh i heard from a person online uh she's a beater does bead work and uh she asked me she says Corey, i just i have this feeling i need to make you something do you mind and i said what she says i want to make you a necklace of your wife to keep with you at all times and i said no why would i mind you know that would be special to me and uh I received it on a day I went down to Edmonton to the Fatality Review Board meeting. Now, of course, I wasn't invited into that meeting. It was the discussion of the, you know, all the medical exam reports they have that are up for review for fatal inquiries. So I'll just give you a little show of this. This is my beautiful wife. And uh, this necklace is amazing. And I'll tell you, it's given me a lot of strength. And uh, it, before she showed up, I was given this necklace by uh, another very special person to me. Um, the grandmother, uh, the child who was uh, killed in the hospital in Kitimat. Um, baby Coralie. And uh, that was another indigenous death by physicians. And uh, absolutely disgusting and heartbroken. Her daughter and her mother, the grandmother, were both with me that day. They stood side by side with me as we stood at that review board. And then uh, family members from Manitoba as well came down and joined. Band members came down. We had music and drumming. Um, APTN did show. I'll speak about that in a bit because there were some other things to that. But uh, it was a it was a good day because it was a good turnout. Um, I guess that's where I could just show this that uh, uh, we got the public inquiry. So there will be a fatal inquiry into my wife's death, which is public in front of a judge. And uh, but it's on hold. Why is it on hold? <laughs> because the RCMP, actually, it was funny. On the day I'm on my way home from that, on the 26th, I get a call from the RCMP officer who's supposed to update me every two weeks on the investigation. That, of course, was not doing anything for over 17 months, almost 18 months. Uh, in fact, 18 months, hadn't done a thing, except for talked to four paramedics, two security guards, I got my 911 call. That's all they had done. And I was told specifically by one of the GIS people that we can't do anything, Corey, because the Crown that uh, we talked to has suggested we don't do anything until we have the medical examiner's report. So I was told they cannot do anything, cannot do a move without their say-so. And uh, that's actually being transcribed right now for me because now I've been told something different from the same unit, only the new sergeant that's in charge of it. I've been told the exact opposite. Oh no, the Crown is just an advisory council for us. We actually do what we want when we want. So in other words, the 18 months of nothing was them just not wanting to do anything. The, uh, of course, we got, we know the medical exam report I got back, came back undetermined. And uh, well, pretty disgusting, but 
I know why my wife's dead. It was the healthcare system. I know who was involved. I know who removed me, which aided in the murder of my wife, which was an RCMP officer. I have since then had constant collusion, um, conflicts of interest, missing evidence, evidence not collected in time and it gets deleted, so on and so on. I could go into all the details, but I don't think I really have to. I think you get my point. It's pretty disgusting. And this has been how the RCMP have worked all along. Disgusting, disgusting show. The newest member was put in there because I called up and was speaking to the, the officer, the staff sergeant who's in charge of my CRCC case. I asked him, I wanted an update and stuff. Oh, well, I can't give you an update. You have to contact Staff Sergeant Norman Mercer. And I said, but he's the one who's in charge of my wife's case. Well, yeah, he's overseeing both cases. I said, so he's overseeing my wife's murder case. And he's overseeing the case of the four police officers that are involved in what I got for their CRCC investigation against them. I go, isn't that a conflict of interest? And uh, Sergeant Warren Wright said, well, well, no, that's kind of, it depends on how you look at it. Those are his words to me. Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> I actually think I chuckled just about like that. And I went, no, it doesn't depend on how you look at it. That's a massive conflict of interest. Ironically, Corey, the ACERT that we have as the so-called overseeing body of the police are actually stacked with a bunch of retired RCMP and police officers, former police officers. So we're literally talking about the back the blue folks already in this ACERT. So yeah. even if you had the opportunity to have, you know, an outside body investigate this, we know cops will never turn against a cop. That's why I've been reaching out to the United Nations. Yeah. Because I feel the United Nations are the only ones that will, number one, give true respect to this case and investigate it properly, as well as take all my evidence in and, you know, prove that. I've got a lot of dirty cops involved here. Not just dirty cops, but all the way up to the top of the politicians. Marco Mendencino, and I will not call him honorable. Not a chance will I call that man honorable. David Lametti, I'll give him that name honorable because that was who I first tried to contact. Mm -hmm. I thought he was the one in charge of the RCMP, you know, justice. And that, but it wasn't, it's a safety minister sure. that's in charge. So, but David Lametti took my letter of my concerns because I was, I felt that my life was at risk. Okay. Yeah. These police are being dirty. They're doing all this stuff. I need to know things. I went and ditched my vehicle, got another vehicle insured, not in my name. And I drove it back to partially way and I hid for a few days in a person's house. And I made sure I had copies of all my evidence and I gave it to people all over. That way I figured, well, if anything happens to me, I'm protected, I'll become a martyr. I'm not worried about dying, I'm not. And I'm not worried about this case not seeing the light if I do. And I'm not worried now about these cops not going down because they will. And I won't give them the respect to call them police anymore because they're cops to me. 
I've lost a lot of respect in this. I'll tell you, I used to have respect for them. I was raised to respect them. Unlike indigenous people, I was raised to respect them because I was born white. I'm disgusted in a lot of the stuff I have learned lately. Things I've learned about white privilege, things I've learned about the police system, the healthcare system, our judicial system, right up to our top-notch politicians on the top that are supposed to be protecting you. Instead, this guy throws me under the bus. Marco Mendicino. Now, I got something that really blew me away. I received a letter which was supposed to be basically from Marco Mendicino. Okay. It's from the inspector, Andrew Duvall, which is of the, uh, um, you know, Ottawa. It's got an Ottawa address on it. Uh, it was dated the 24th of May, which would be two days before the fatality review board met. Now, the problem with this letter here that was dated two days before the review board met was, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but I really would like it if you did. Now, if you can read this, there's a name on there called Ken Denberg. If you go down in here, you can see modified, created on and modified on the 30th of May. Now, they think I'm stupid, okay? So I went and did all this and got all these papers here, which prove that the letter was actually created on the 30th of May. It was then modified a few minutes later for the date and the address to make it look like it came from Ottawa. However, the sergeant that I was talking to, the new staff sergeant that's involved in my wife's case overseeing it, he let it slip out of his mouth and I have it recorded that, well, yeah, I seen it before it was sent out. <laughs> because <laughs> I said I got his number from the main. Oh, yeah, I seen that before it was sent out. <laughs> yeah, thanks for informing me. So were you in Ottawa, buddy? No, he wasn't in Ottawa. The only thing I can think of, the reason why this was backdated to make it look like it was two days before the review board was to make it look like they had made a decision already to start doing more investigating. But it wasn't. It was fabricated bullcrap. Technically, it's fraud. Technically, this and the signature on it is fraud by our RCMP, GIS, General Investigation Unit. Yeah, okay, you bunch of dirty pricks. They disgust me because, no, they didn't do anything. And it was funny because, like I said, on the 26th on my way home from that review board meeting, I got a call from that, uh, from the Sar Sergeant Dennis Jolly, who's the new Sergeant in charge of the investigation. He was thrown in there because Staff Sergeant Norman Mercer was overseeing both cases. I screamed, holy conflict of interest. And within days, Norman Mercer was off the case and Dennis Jolly was in. Just like that. I don't care, the conflict still happened, guys. I'm still taking you down for it. <laughs> They're idiots. I'll tell you that much. They're idiots. They don't even know how to cover their own asses on computer work. And they think that humans out here like me and that are stupid. So let's, let's, let's just, oh, he, he'll never notice that we modified it. And then we sent to him on the same day we created it. Yeah, screw you. I'm so disgusted in them. Anyway, he calls me up and 
he's kind of, you could hear in his voice, he was a little nervous, eh? And he starts mentioning to me about the autopsy report. Mm. And he says, uh, Corey, uh, did you do that one part on the autopsy report that talks about further testing and stuff? I said, yeah, for genetic testing. I said, uh, I said, what about it? He said, well, well, I, I finally heard back from the medical examiner. He contacted me today, and that was on the 26th of May. Uh, I want to kiss that guy. And uh, he, he said to me, he goes, that they don't do that testing, that that's for the family. Uh, are you guys doing that? I said, why would we? You guys are trying to prove my wife was a drug addict or something? I said, because that's the only thing, you know, you can try to push to, which is what you've been trying to do the whole damn time. Yeah. I said, as I told you before, my wife was not a drug addict. She was clean. I said, in fact, she'd stopped drinking alcohol. I said, as I've told you, she also went through every single test known that the doctor could put her through for the two years previous to her murder because there was something wrong in her abdomen and the doctor needed to know what was causing her this pain. So she went through every test. I said, why would we test her? Well, uh, any of her family members may be doing it. Like he just tried and tried. And I'm like, no. And he goes, he goes, huh, okay, so nobody's doing that. And I said, no, nobody's doing it. <laughs> so then he moves on to the next question, which was about, he goes, by the way, um, he mentioned something about the review board is going to be meeting sooner or, or maybe today or something. He says, this is like the first time I heard about it. Now, that's an interesting thing because I had talked to him twice. This was our six-week conversation, and every two weeks we talk. So I've talked to him twice before, I believe, and I had mentioned both times about the Fatality Review Board meeting. <laughs> but this is his first time hearing about it. So what, you don't listen to me, you only listen to the medical examiner? That's kind of what that says to me. He didn't obviously listen to me when I was telling him mm -hmm. in our conversations, which are recorded. <laughs> and being transcribed <laughs> sorry i have to giggle because i checked the medical examiner's report and uh i have a friend very good person love very much now very very close transcribed that entire 46 minute conversation over 30 hours to transcribe that properly Ooh. but this person has their medical transcription certificates they are legal so every word in there had to be taken when I showed up at that review board meeting, I walked in with a stack of paper. I asked the people's front desk, please, could you get it to the review board? I said, I just want them to take this option to look at it when they look at my wife's case. It wasn't but 10 minutes later, a very tall gentleman came walking out, walked up and said, uh, he only had about a handful, a couple of the papers in his hand, but he goes, uh, you're Corey Ashley. And I went, yes, and introduced my compadres there. And he, he says, he goes, uh, we just, we discussed this when this paperwork came into our hands that somebody should come out and talk to you. And I want to let you know that when we open up your wife's case, we're going to view all this evidence you've brought in. We're going to take it in its entirety. We're going to view it all in order to make our informed decision. And I said, thank you. That's all I ask. We had a little bit more discussion. He went back in, APTN showed up. It was great. APTN wasn't going to show up because they were told CTV was coming. CTV never came. Shocking. When he said when when he started to cancel on me, I said to him, I go, why are you canceling? What you can't do your own work? You're gonna go and just take the work from them and try to ad lib off of whatever they're gonna get. CTV was never coming. It was a setup so that APTN wouldn't come. But APTN did come. 
APTN did, they got a huge story. They got a lot of stuff from us. A very little bit of it's on TV, but they have a lot of it. I've been promised something from APTN. I'm still waiting for the head of APTN, the new head to actually follow through with what she promised me. Uh, she promised me something big time and she's been failing to actually do it, but we'll see. I think the media is too chicken, actually. I think they're scared to lose funding, jobs, you know, their certificates. I think the media is terrified because they know I'm taking on two of the biggest, well, the two biggest organizations in Canada, provincial and federal, the healthcare system and the justice system, police, right up to the federal politicians we have that were voted in that shouldn't be sitting there. If you do this to your citizens, you're not a good person. And our government since 1867 has been committing genocide and covering it up. The disgusting part is they're still doing it today. Yep. And not many people get a chance to fight against them and to make an actual positive change. I promise you, I will never stop. I will not back down. I will see change. Um, update college physicians and surgeons. Well, I did get a bit of an update. The main doctor that was on the case quit. But because there was two full doctors involved, because they did not become biased, they decided to have an indigenous doctor work alongside her, everything in the whole case. It was very simple. It also went for a peer review. It was back the first week of April. I don't know where we are, what, going into the third week of July? <laughs> it's been back since the first week of April. But I got a message from the complaints director who said, Corey, I've sent a few questions back to the, uh, the professional doctor who did the peer review. Once those questions are back, it's only gonna take me a short period of time to put it together and then we have a finished investigation. I gave them till the end of this month or the first week of August. Somebody there tried to say, oh, it could be, you know, end of August, early September. And I said, I go, I said, if that's the case and you guys go into 21, 22 months, I said, I'm gonna lose it on you guys. I said, cause that's absolutely pathetic. I said, I was told very bluntly, once the question or the answers are back, it won't take long to finalize it and come up with what, which way they're going on it. One, two, or three, you know, is there going to be an, is there going to be an actual court case through the College of Physicians and Surgeons like there is through Karna, or is there going to be a disciplinary matter, or are they just going to throw it out? You know, there's, there's three ways they can go with this. However, I do know the investigation is over a thousand pages. So that's a pretty heavy duty investigation they've done. I had it from the head of the College of Physicians and Surgeons that mentioned it was over a thousand pages. I had it confirmed from the complaints director. Yes, Corey, it is over a thousand pages. I was like, wow, you guys are really doing your job there then. So I also recently had a mediation. Now, as we're waiting for the College of Physicians and Surgeons, Karnas, don't forget the trials are coming up people, September. So September 12th through 16th, Holly Connors is on trial. Jukarna, public. You can go to their website, the Karna website, College of Association of Registered Nurses of Alberta, and you can sign up to be on that Zoom and watch this. Watch really? the trials. They're public. Yes. Anybody can watch them. I know a bunch of media people that said they're going to be there for fact. I know the SCO 
Grand Chief Derry Daniels is going to be there. I know that uh, some of the band members and some of the band, the chief and council are going to be on there. And I know I will be on there because I, of course, am part of it. Um, I expect the same thing from the College of Physicians and Surgeons in reality. Now, I can't really tell you much about my mediation because it was with human rights versus AHS versus myself and Lillian, the estate of Lillian Vanessa because her human rights were definitely violated. Um, we didn't last long. The, conference, the, the whole meeting was supposed to be around three hours. It was about three, and three hours, 17 minutes. But we didn't last 50 minutes in a room together. And we were separated because I almost lost it on the lawyer. The ignorance of the AHS lawyer was so disgusting, I wanted to jump through the camera and rip his throat out. I was so angry. You tell me they were doing their job, it's written down on paper. Did you read the coroner reports, how they fraudulently did all the papers? Did you read the fact that they didn't even kill her but kept her dead? Did you read any of this? Or did you just come to the table saying, oh, they had to have done their job? You bloody moron. I was so disgusted with the ignorance from them. Um, the lady that he had with her, which was representing AHS, she at least was polite enough to recognize the fact that my wife was killed. She, of course, didn't call it murder or anything, but she recognized it. She apologized for it. And she gave me her condolences. You know, she was respectful in that way. Other than that, there was no more respect from them at all. Just like I didn't expect because of the QAR I went through with them, which was so disrespectful. Well, we're not looking into the nurse. Why should we? No, we're not changing policies. Why should we? Well, I got the same crap back from some of my things that I asked for. Um, they had until the 8th. Friday, Friday, July the 8th, and they still didn't finalize all the questions. We're now at the 17th, and I'm still waiting for finalized answers on that, which the last one is the only one they haven't answered, which was, of course, the money thing. And uh, I told my lawyer to handle that part because I didn't care. You know, it was to me, Can to I me, it's about getting change. You know, I'm not going to lie. What you just told me, I heard, I heard you say, you know that why should they change the policy but what i also heard from that interaction in that statement is this ahs still will not recognize undrip they still don't recognize the trc they still don't recognize the national inquiries um calls to justice for health correct all three of those talk about the need for change provincially for all of those um different documents to be implemented they don't recognize a jordan principle they don't don't recognize a joyce principle um i'll give you one of my little statements back to them because i did a four-page rebuttal you know because i can't give you the whole thing about it but when i realized that you know they think that everything is still perfect the way it is one of a couple of my things were well if that's the case we wouldn't be here today my wife wouldn't be dead right now. You know, if your policies and procedures and stuff were proper, then why would why are we here? So this is one of the little simple sentence, but the definition of insanity, insanity is repeating the same actions, training modules over and over again and expecting different results. I state that because it's what they say they're doing. They, you know, 
nobody's got the rights to change their policies. Human rights doesn't have a rights to instill it or anything. And they don't have to do anything because they don't want to. They think it's all perfect the way it is, even though people are dying. They don't have any infrastructure on what to do when people are dead from racism, and discrimination. They don't have any infrastructure to stop that. Now, what happens if my wife, you know, say we were in a job in a construction site and my wife died on that construction site? What's the first thing that's going to happen? That site's going to be shut down. Yeah. Okay. They're going, to, they're going to look right away. People involved, whoever's involved, is going to be dismissed immediately. Yeah. Immediate dismissal. Yeah. They'll be the replaced and the investigation will be ongoing. Yeah. They'll figure out what happened in that investigation. They will put in the corrective material to stop it from happening again. And the construction company will continue on. Apparently, AHS is above that. Apparently, AHS doesn't have to go by any of those rules or anything or change anything because they're perfect the way they are. And they're not. No. Well, I'm just about at the end of everything here. I got to tell you, but I, I got to show you. I started reading a book. Two books were found, actually, and we're sharing it between families here because, wow, am I learning a lot. Criminal. Investigations, forming reasonable grounds. It actually explains a lot in here and it's uh, helping me with a lot of the, uh, what I can do right now type of things. And, you know, this is stuff that the police are supposed to be doing. You know, that they have failed to. Number one, why would you stop the public inquiry when you guys haven't done anything all you did was talk to poor paramedics and two security guards got my 911 call and then did nothing until after you knew a public inquiry was happening. And then they send their lawyer after to the public inquiry to say, stop right now. Do not proceed further. Were the words, do not proceed further. Because we have an investigation going. And yes, I read it in the Fatality Act. There's an investigation going. Public inquiry cannot be done. Until the, until the investigation by RCMP is complete. Pretty disgusting considering they've wasted how much time? Over a year. You know, yeah, it was in Hannah's hands for a while and they screwed with evidence and everything. That's why they're under investigation. But trust me, I am now spending time to put some of the investigators that are on it right now under CRCC. You know, I, I'm just gonna stop you there right now because we just need to take a minute and just tell you, I. I get so pissed off when I hear that um, about the RCMP, you know, not doing their work. And, and the reason for that is this, I ran in Calgary East and at that time, the conservative MLA was under investigation the day, uh, the Friday before the actual election, the RCMP walked into his office, confiscated his computers and that was needed in order to talk about the leadership review of how exactly Jason Kenney was elected as leader. We are now at the point that the premier has stepped down and there's gonna be a new leadership race. And the RCMP are so inept, they couldn't even finish that stupid investigation in time before the leader has moved on. No, that's just it. How long are they gonna to try to stretch this out now? 10, 20 years? Not gonna allow it. That's why I've gone to the UN. Um, I've got other friends 
doing other calls and things. And, uh, and we're all working from within to make sure, because I think honestly, since they spent a year doing nothing, there should be no reason why they're allowed to investigate now, especially considering I'm putting some of them under investigation through CRCC for corruption, for conflict of interest, for failure to do their jobs, for fraud. <laughs> fraud. And they can't say they don't got fraud because I got the evidence right here. So, you know, it's to me an absolute disgusting thing. These police thought that they could just push this to drugs, wipe it under the rug, and my wife's case is gone, done. Yet they know two other completed investigations both said there was some major, major issues. And not just the fact of major issues, my wife's dead and they kept her dead. And they still haven't turned this to a murder investigation, what's going on, you know, until a public inquiry is actually instilled. And now they're going to try to drag this out. I will not allow it. I will not allow it. I'm not going to allow the, the, the evil, disgusting people that are supposed to be doing their jobs, which trust me, I know because I've been reading all about it. And I've been learning a lot about you cops and what you're supposed to do and what you failed to do. And what I can actually do as a citizen, did you know as a citizen, I can actually go to a judge <laughs> about this? I found out about this and well, guess what? I've been, I've actually been in two court cases in the last uh, month. One, I went to a judge by myself, filled out some forms and everything because of a man that wasn't getting proper health care, and that he had mental issues, he needed help and got him into Pinoca. Um, his second time, because he was in there for two weeks after I got him in there the first time, they got him, they uh, kicked him out, which was pretty disgusting when he was saying, no, I don't want to leave. I'm finally getting help. They put him on voluntary state, asked him to leave. He said no. So they offered him cab fare. Just leave. Go to Edmonton. Go to Calgary. We don't care. We'll pay for a ride anyway. And I said, I'm on my way to pick him up. I had him in my house for six days. After quite a few flip outs and stuff and that with the man, because I knew he's he's broken. He's beyond broken. He's the father of the baby that was killed in Kitimat. So he's beyond broken. And he's been through a lot in his life. And he admitted he was beyond broken. He didn't know how bad it was until I sent him a letter of a that came from a police officer about other people and what they seen this man doing. And he didn't he, he didn't realize that things people are saying is true. He didn't realize that's how bad he is. Now he's actually doing a lot better. He's staying in there. He's in the middle of a few week course now and then already booked up for another one for a month as they've been trying to boot him out of there. I just, I fought hard and I went to a judge and I tried to do, you know, the, the right thing because the man needed help. And unfortunately though, the night before I went to the judge, he had a flip out in here and I had a, you gotta go. But I made sure I knew where he was at all times to make sure he was safe. I did that trickily, but yeah, with the help of some friends, we made sure he was safe. He got into the hospital that night. Unfortunately, they had a hospital, but it actually turned out good. He also had a blood infection. So, which was probably from the tooth extraction that they did in the Pinoca hospital and then kicked him out with no meds. He ended up with a massive blood infection and it's lucky he ended up back in the hospital because he could have died from that. You know I mean, how many times 
our people, indigenous people are mistreated in those like institutions, aren't given proper health care, aren't given proper dental care. Like it's disgusting and, and nobody cares because we're in native. Well, this here is going to be a shock for you. He's white. Yeah. She, his spouse is native, full indigenous. So it was a grandmother. He's yeah. white. But there's a lot of white people going through hell in the healthcare system too. Absolutely. The healthcare system doesn't care. No. Like I said, systemic racism, racism, racial profiling and profiling covers every color of skin. Yeah. That was a big part I want to get to was he's white. And this is the abuse he went through that I fought twice. Um, he ended up in the Hannah Hospital. It found a blood infection. Well, then all of a sudden I hear from this guy from the Hannah Hospital. I just about hung up. And he said, I'm from the mental health department. I'm like, okay, what are you calling me for? And he told me why he was calling me. So I spoke to him. He said, apparently you're his advocate. He said that you, he signed you as his mental advocate and wants you to be his. I said, yes. I said, I'm advocating for him because I believe everybody needs a hand. Yeah. I said, plus it keeps my mind off all my other stuff I'm going crazy with. So yeah. I'm helping other people. I said, it's all I can do is help other people at the same time. And uh, anyway, he talked to me. Then he talked to the spouse, the grandma. And he got him back into Panoka, right back in there. I hear from the doctor that was on vacation that oversees all the doctors in there. He was on vacation. He was the one that actually agreed with me and signed him in the first time. But he was on vacation when they booted him out. He contacted me. We talked. And he said, he goes, so uh, he goes, you want to talk about him? And I said, yeah, I go, because he was kicked out. And he goes, Oh, no, no, no. They told me he left voluntarily. I said, oh, no, no, no. They lied to you. I said, and more than one doctor. I said, this doctor, this doctor. I know one other one. I said, and I believe there was two others involved in it in kicking him out. Yeah. They offered him cab fare. They're lying to you. Yeah. And this is the head doctor of Pinoca. Yeah. So you want to talk disgusting. They didn't want to have to deal with a hard patient somebody who's got real issues schizophrenia split personality bipolar disorder and watching his own baby be killed in front of him yeah. and then stuck in the mental ward across the hall for a month right across the hall so i fought for this man he's in there he's doing much better i told him when i talked to him i said look buddy you need to stay there you need to learn the tools to come out, be strong, and be able to handle all this. I said, you'd have another baby on the way. I said, that baby's under great medical protection now and under the protection of myself and the family. I said, you need to come out and be a father. You need to be, come out and be a husband. Yeah. I said, so you got a lot of work. you got to get those tools. Don't matter how long it takes. Learn it. Understand it. Get over the issues that were making you break. And come out a stronger human so that's what he's doing i'm proud of him but talk about a disgusting fight to yeah, get yeah. that for this man our healthcare is letting everybody down yes our police system is letting everybody down yes our justice system is letting everybody down yes and our politicians when marco mendoncino threw me under the bus told them everything i said to him Everything that was in the letter, he told the Airdrie GIS police. 
And this was their response to fraudulently send me a letter stating everything's being done right, Corey. Uh, yeah, they're doing their job. No, they're not. They haven't done anything until they found out a public inquiry was going to happen. And then they falsified a letter and fraudulently signed it to, you know, oh, we'll give them this. This will shut them up. No, no, it won't. And uh, just, you know, I started reading something else, which all nurses have to read and understand before they even start becoming a nurse. <laughs> Critical thinking in nursing. And I'll tell you, this book has got some pretty interesting information, especially when somebody shows up struggling to breathe. And the very first steps you're supposed to do and the steps all along, none of which happened for my wife. None. But yet she was in there. Paramedics had said she was struggling to breathe. I had said she was struggling to breathe. The company I had here seen she was struggling to breathe. My cameras, when she was going out the door, seen her struggling to breathe. And my camera video, I took seen it. But those nurses that are now under 82 charges, disgusting. You know what else is really disgusting is the people that turn their closed eyes. Yes. We need a system changed with a behavior change. That's why I fight for the lily cam. I brought the lily cam up. You know what they said? We don't want invasive cameras. We can't do that. And there's outside entities that won't allow. You guys already have invasive cameras in there that watch everybody. Every single person that enters a hospital is on camera by their cameras. My lily cam is a personal camera for people to have, for people to use for their protection at their request. Privacy issue gone. It's not invasive. They're in their room. The doctor and nurses come in. They have a camera to protect themselves, also protects them. So why are you fighting against something that is not invasive, is not against the policies, is not against privacy issues? Why are you fighting against it? Because it will catch them all in the act and stop your genocides? It'll stop the substandard care? It will actually be a behavior modification tool that will change people and how they treat people. And when a nurse or a doctor sees another nurse or doctor doing these kind of things to a patient, they'll actually step in and say, no, stop, instead of turning away. Because when you turn away, you're as guilty, if not worse. That's disgusting. Yeah. You're looking the other way when you know somebody's being killed. You're looking the other way when you know somebody's hurting or dying. And you're saying no. Or a mother walks in with a baby, which has happened twice recently, Manitoba, walks in with a baby struggling to breathe. And you say, there's nothing wrong with it, go home. And the next day you're going back to the hospital with a dead baby in your hands. The substandard care, the ignorance, everything is going to change. I'm not saying will, might, or has to. It's going to. They're not going to have a choice. It's supposed to have already been changing. They're ignoring all the reasons why they're supposed to change. They're ignoring the laws that have already been put out to make them change. They make their own rules. They go by their own rules, and it doesn't matter the color of your skin. You're in danger. I yeah, know but can we at least agree that if you are Black or Indigenous, you're at a higher risk? Way higher risk. Okay. I've, oh, I've said sure. that from the, I'm sorry if I didn't state that in this conversation, because I always normally do. 
Uh, number one, hardest hit is Indigenous by far. Second, Black by far. But trust me, Hispanic, Asian, down the list. White people, yes, you're not nearly as in danger as any of those other folks, but you are still in danger. Yeah, and I think it's of fair to say, to, especially what you're saying, like mental health is so stigmatized in Alberta. Like, oh, I, yeah. I don't know about the other provinces, but I only know Alberta. And I know when we're talking about mental health issues, like this is like eugenic central. They would rather have someone with mental health die on the streets today. They don't care. Worse, they would like, they see it as a problem. And, yep. and that's like, I, I can't even imagine calling yourself like an ethical, moral person in any capacity and not taking care of somebody with mental health issues. Oh. Like I, I can't even wrap my head around it, let alone, you know, knowing that there are houseless people, even if they have their full uh, mental awareness and, and mental cognitive uh, functioning, like I, I cannot wrap my head around so-called politicians that call themselves moral and ethical. I mean, our premier was literally under our CMP investigation that has never been wrapped up. Now he's already stepping down and moving on and, and our own people will be like, yeah, let's vote that guy back in. And yeah, let's kill all the people with the mental health. And yeah, let's kill all the natives. And yeah. Like I, I cannot wrap my head around people who think they have ethics, have morals. No, they don't, that's the problem. <laughs> You, you, I don't know, many of you might not know when I say Pinoka, but what Pinoka is, is a brain injury psychiatric institution. It only works with people with major brain problems, issues, been in a car accident or something, or had somebody hit them in the head with a hammer, or people have had major mental trauma throughout their life that they're so destroyed now. That's what this facility is for. Yeah, and just to add to what you're saying, like I, I have two ex-teachers um, both in there right now with dementia. Like that, mm. that place is absolutely for that. And I will, I am sad to say, you know, growing up in Alberta, that Pinoca's hospital for folks with mental health issues have, that's been a joke all across Alberta, yep. but it, it's also been used as a weapon, like especially to indigenous women. Oh, I think you belong in Pinoca, yep. i.e., what you're saying is crazy and you're just a crazy native woman. Oh, right? yeah. These are the types of things that have been said to us and done to us and sterilizations have been done to us there too. There's um, a whole book called a special hell and it's about eugenics in Alberta and folks with disabilities and mental health issues. They have always been sterilized there against their will with like coerced into um, sterilization like this. We believe in eugenics in Alberta and all of their policies say so. I don't, but clearly Alberta healthcare has, has done this like for decades and that bias is still there. It's still there. It's until we can change it, until we can get the right tools in the system to start changing the problems that exist now, it's never gonna change. And that's the problem. That's why I still fight every day for my lily cam, because I know it's going to be a tool used to protect the people. And, you know, I told him, I said, I go, and these videos don't go back to the hospital switchboard. They go to the cloud. They go to a secure site. 
that only a doctor with an ethics license, you know, moral license, all this stuff can go in there and retrieve and only when a judge asks for it. This is to be protected, not to be seen by anybody. It's not like, oh, my breasts are going to be on TV. No, that's not what it's about. It's protected. It's in case the doctors hurt you, the nurses hurt you, or you in turn hurt them because it protects both sides. You know, there is some pretty crazy people out there that will do things and will harm the, the healthcare physicians, nurses and stuff. It's been done. So it protects both sides, but at the same time, it changes people because they know I'm under camera. I can't act like that no more. I can't say those things no more. Yeah. It's a tool. Now it's changing, modification, but it's the third party unbiased entity that is irrefutable proof. It 100% protects the people. Yeah. And it's, it's the only way we're going to get change because obviously they don't care about changing. They think they're perfectly fine the way they are. They don't have policies to do. Like I said, construction sites have better policies than our healthcare systems do. No, I agree. A construction site, somebody gets hurt or hurt, hurt or dead, they deal with it right then and there. You know, and no, it, it's a huge reason why um, a lot of Indigenous people don't actually go to get health care because exactly. of the bias that we receive. And um, anyway, we but they're so at risk now. That's why I tell everybody, like all these yeah. people I've been dealing with lately, and I say, you know what, you have to go in there, have something in your pocket phone there's apps all over most phones come with record now just hit record on audio that way if you're refused help right then and there you now can walk out and have something you were refused help when you went in there with a medical condition you now walk out there well you've got an audio that proves you went in there you acknowledge their names you're a person you're a private person we have that rights as private people we have the rights to protect ourselves as private people we have the rights to record. We have the rights to say things. We have the, you know, I'm not under any guidelines or any policies. And uh, I can, you know, uh, I can say what I damn well want. It was funny because I was calling to talk to these doctors that kicked this gentleman out and I'm, they wouldn't call, they wouldn't answer me nothing. And I'm calling and calling. I'm reciting the Mental Health Act rules that they're breaking, <laughs> the Charter of Rights rules they're breaking, the Human Rights rules they're breaking, and they kept ignoring me. You know, I finally get a call from the doctor, and that was because I called the College of Physicians and Surgeons, explained to one guy, gave me a voicemail of another guy, I explained it, all of a sudden, a couple of days later, I get a call. Well, I've been doing it again. They haven't been calling me. I'm this guy's advocate. He's been in there for over a month, and I haven't heard one update from them, only from him. Neither is his lawyer. He's got a lawyer that should be getting informed of everything going on. They haven't talked to him or the family. No updates from anybody in that facility about what's going on with this man. And yet I've got the paper signed from Pinoca that I am his advocate in there. They did the paperwork. He signed it, everything, and a line through any date for expiry. So it doesn't expire. And then he wrote me a personal letter stating, Corey Ashley is my mental advocate since May 24th until, until I am better, basically, is what it says. So I'm still waiting for the calls. I, again, went to the College of Physicians and Surgeons this week to raise a little bit of feathers on both my wife's case and his. And I'm going to be supposedly getting some calls this week about it. Um, 
you know, we, we, we don't live under policies and rules. At least I don't. So I can say what I want. I can do what I want. I've got cases going on. I've got a human rights case that we're still waiting for answers on because, of course, they don't want to answer me. You know, they, they can't even finalize a, a simple thing when they were given two weeks to finalize it. And so my, my rebuttal written up, well, I want to see them answer that. You know, they're, they're too scared because they know my rebuttal, which I will eventually, you know, unless I'm, uh, what do they say, shut up somehow, you know, which I don't know how they'd ever shut me up, but it'll come out <laughs> because you're not going to shut me up. Well, I'm I, really grateful. I'm really grateful that you came and gave us an update, uh, Corey. I really appreciate you letting folks know what's happening. I know so many people are rooting for you, and I'm really um, honored to walk this journey with you. And as you uh, move forward, please don't hesitate to update us again. I just hope that people, you know, pay attention to this, realize this, protect themselves at all costs, and know that I'll never stop fighting. I am fighting to protect the people. Indigenous first. My wife was Indigenous. She did not deserve to be dead at 40 years old. No, she didn't. But then neither did Joyce Etchequan. Neither did George Harvey. There's a lady's a baby, baby Sarah. None of them deserve to be dead. But they're all dead. And our systems don't seem to care. They don't think they're doing anything wrong when they know they are. Right. And they don't want to change it. So stay safe. Be careful out there, people, because we live in a very scary age and time. But things, I will promise every one of you, things are changing. And they're not going to stop us forever because everybody's coming out now. People are telling the stories now. And people are bringing it all to the front because they realize they have a voice. They can talk and they need it. So well, I really hate to say it, but I'm going to put this out there for you and so many others. I actually think we just need to do a class action lawsuit against our own goddamn government provincially to the HS because it's just, it, it's not right that I can say my local hospital is known as the death hospital in the community. Like this, this has to end. Um, yep. And that that's before COVID. This is long before then <sighs> anyway. Anyway, anyway, thank you, Corey. <laughs> Thanks for coming back on. Thank you um, for having me. Oh, I'm honored too. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions, uh, included cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. If you can go to heretohelp.bc.ca about what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. The authors are Cheryl Ward and Chelsea Branch and Alicia Fritkin. Their work are cultural action tools. I've said this link over a hundred times in my podcast. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your, your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and folks with mental health, um, other folks who have other different um, intersectionalities that we all face by this you know, structure of racism imposed on these lands and colonial violence. The do's and don'ts, oh, go to racialequitytools.org. Uh, what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins, but that entire website is so good, I highly recommend it. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention 
by Americans Friends Service Committee. They have a whole bunch of information on well, uh, what to do if you've seen, like, say, a Muslim getting um, harassed on the sea train. I just recently read on Twitter a really sad uh, story from a person in Canada who is blind and said that there were a couple of teenagers that came up and smacked them on the head, said, get out of the way. You know, when you see things like that, do something. Um, anyway, if you're in Alberta and you experience racism, you can go to actandracism.ca or text at 587-507-3838. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, uh, sharing the traumas and solutions and reports, commissions, public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more, honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to the politicians and their policies and platforms. I will never understand how anyone who listens to this podcast could ever possibly vote conservative. I'll never understand it. Um, if they don't recognize folks in their budget with gender and uh, gender equity plus, they're cutting violence prevention programs, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to this party or that party directly negatively impacts folks with issues that are intersectional all across this country. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, and I also undrip. I, I can't stress this enough. I've been asked a, a couple of times to talk about the sterilization against Indigenous uh, women. Honestly, this has been so well documented, um, an act of genocide by Karen Stoke. I don't know how many more times I have to plug that book or uh, the special kind of hell of eugenics in Alberta. This is my living reality. Lillian Ashley is dead because the very health recommendations that have been told to Canadians over and over are not implemented. We bring solutions Anyone who is feeling so-called overwhelmed and not knowing the answer, you are choosing not to see the answers in these reports. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme, extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Uh, if you were to Google how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies, you'll come up with some great articles. <sighs> if, you're emotion if you're feeling emotional distress after hearing this, please call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll free, open 24 hours a day seven days a week. You can text at hopeforwellness.ca. If uh, more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. Uh, for non-Indigenous, there is a functioning 211 in your area, or you can call 833-456-4566. If you're a 60 scoop, uh, there is 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. Um, if you are LGBTQ2+, there are crisis supports to match who you are. 
you can go to lifevoice.ca that has tons of resources from the Trans Lifeline to the Trevor Project to the youth number. So please call those numbers. This government's failure to properly respond to this crisis is costing lives, costing taxpayers, and using up scarce resources in our overburdened ambulance and hospital systems. If you know someone who is using substances, do not use alone. If you are using, you can contact the National Overdose Response Service at 1-888-688-NORS for support. And there's two apps you can download. You can download the Brave or the DORS app. And that's from the Edmonton Journal. They recorded 115 drug poisoning deaths in April alone. And that's where that quote came from. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how I take my power back. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions. Many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions daily, so it is unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me, dealing with internalized racism or gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, people who are so in their trauma, they stop people from doing the good work and deplete personal resources. Internal, external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous people, folks with disabilities, QT BIPOC, and many others. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, to my mama, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. And I want to say thank you to my husband, Darcy, big Buffalo rock men. It's a uh, Mystica, no, Mista Pasakoka. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize to my three friends. Anyway. He produces and edits this show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and the support of my journey down the red road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, uh, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily, and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better, stronger person. I hope that my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening and watching, you can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com with your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel, you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And Sundays at 4 p.m. on TikTok, I've been doing live. So if you are that person who is way too fucking cheap to uh, pay me for picking my brain, that's your place that you can. And I might shut you down, but you know it would be really nice for folks to actually do the work. Um, last thing I'm going to say is this, I was at the Calgary Stampede this week and I came across, um, a post or uh, a statue and I just posted this on social media and I posted it because I'm, I'm really challenging, like it, it bothers me 
I have to say this. It bothers me that out of over a million people in Calgary, not one of you have figured out to do this, but here we are. Our land, our future, the Alberta farm family, with hope and apprehension, they surveyed their new land, brought from afar by its lure. We depend on the farm family stewardship of our most precious renewable resource. It was erected by the Calgary Stampede and Ralph Klein, and there's a time capsule that they're gonna open this was done in 1987. So since 1987, and folks, it's been over a year since 215 to, uh, graves have been found, 2015 since we had the TRC, and yet not one person has called this out yet. Thanks a lot, Calgary, for absolutely doing the bare minimum or worse, nothing. So I said, I want to challenge the Calgary Stampede and the city of Calgary because for folks who don't know, I run municipally, and I will tell you that this city of Calgary has so much money that goes straight to the stampede that's tax-free. Anyway, I want them to work with Treaty 7 to create a time capsule right beside this um, statue, this monument, and this time capsule to acknowledge how forced relocation of Treaty 7, broken promises, uh, economic oppression and the genocide of, in, of the Buffalo and Indigenous peoples are why settlers have this so-called statue. Um, sadly, <laughs> it's been up, you know, for two hours and hardly anybody's noticed it. And that's, that's, that's where I live. What can I say? So seriously, folks, do something about reconciliation. You don't even have to join my group. You can do your own thing. There are lots of whitewash committees that you can go join and do that work. There's lots of churches that have committees. If your organizations don't, you should be creating them. Anyway, I'm gonna end this by giving side eye to the Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. My beautiful cousin Russ would respond or you'd be in my dish. So thank you folks for listening and thank you, Corey, for coming on. Always appreciate it. Thank you for having me.